Welcome to Haunted Hospitality, Southern Stories Told by Spooky Gingers. I'm Robin. And I'm Zoe. And I have a story for you today. But first, Zoe, how's life? Life is good. Very busy. I'm trying to have like five hobbies at the same time and it's not going well. But my major update is that I'm no longer on Wi-Fi and I'm so happy. I have finally connected my computer directly to the thing. And so I have a cable that runs all the way through our apartment and I'm not on Wi-Fi and supposedly it's so much better according to Kari. But <laughs> we we were having issues where we were trying to play a game together and I was lagging. And so Kari was like, OK, we're doing this. And finally, we ran the cable from the office area. Robin, you know where Kari hides when you're here. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the way through to my little office nook back here. Well, I'm sure all our listeners are really thrilled for this momentous event mm-hmm. in your life. Uh, we're very happy for you to have Ethernet. It, it truly does work better if you have spotty internet, yeah. spotty Wi-Fi. Yeah. So congratulations. I saw a meme recently that was like somebody talking about like weaving an Ethernet cable a hundred feet across their house and like their family's reaction to that. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, you just reminded me of it. I'm sure it was a very humorous meme. Yeah, it was. But Robin, how how's your life? My life is good. Okay, okay. Listen, 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 listen. I'm listening. If if you if 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 you, if you've been listening to some of these episodes, sometimes you might know that like I am the pop culture one out of the two of us. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna real quick talk about House of the Dragon for a hot minute. <laughs> Go ahead. As of right now, as of this recording, uh, we've only had one episode out. The second one comes out tonight. So I am very happy so far with the show and like all the reviews online are like oh well it's not quite as good as game of thrones and like it's not it's not the next game of thrones guys it was never gonna be the next game of thrones it's a much more contained story we actually know how this one ends so like there's only so much they can screw up okay and i'm just happy to be back in king's landing (laughs) pre-burning And just living the good life. And I know this is not related to our podcast, but I just wanted to let everybody know that currently I am liking House of the Dragon. Is House of the Dragon related to Game of Thrones? Zoe, you really just are so far removed from all of this. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's a prequel that takes place 172 years before the birth of Daenerys Targaryen. I think you said it was a book first. So it is based off of the book Fire and Blood by George R.R. R. Martin, which is not like Fire and Blood does not equal A Song of Ice and Fire, which is the book series that Game of Thrones is from, because Fire and Blood is written from the point of view of like it's it's a historical count account as written in the universe of it. So it's not like you are taken through. It, it's hard to explain, Zoe, but. Yeah, it's based off a book. It's like you reached into, you're in the Game of Thrones universe, Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. pulled a historical document off the bookshelves, and that is the book. Yes, but from what I understand, I have not actually read it, but I have listened to podcasts about it. From what I understand, it's like a compilation of historical documents that are documenting the entire dynasty 
of the Targaryen reign in Westeros. And so this House of the Dragon is actually a small segment of that history that is about a period of time called the Dance of the Dragons, which is Targaryen wars for the throne against each other. Very good. Okay. Very good. I yeah. love unique books like that. So. Oh. I mean, I'm not going to read it. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so Zoe, do you have a something something for us today? We, I do, I do. Um, so Robin, last time you gave us an update on Nessie, the Loch Ness monster. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm good old Nessie Ness. I don't know if you've heard this, Robin, but have you? Do you know the Jean Benet Ramsey case? Yes, I do, and. I knew that there was something happening, but I wasn't sure how much of a thing it actually was. Yeah, so my something something, something spooky, is the update about the Jean Benet Ramsey case. Okay. So, um, in case you guys don't know, this is one of the, like, most well-known true crime case within the true crime community. Everybody has their own theories on it. There's a lot that happens, but the basic story is that Jean Benet Ramsey was a six-year-old beauty pageant star, which I'm not even going to start getting into that. But the morning after Christmas, so I mean like 1 a.m. when I say the morning, on Christmas 1996, after a Christmas party, Patsy Ramsey, her mother, found a two and a half page ransom note on the back staircase of the house. And then she went upstairs and found that Jean Benet was missing from her bed. And police were called. They tried to find her. There was a whole search of the house for evidence. There, the ransom letter demanded $118,000 for her return, which was the same amount as the Christmas bonus that um, John Ramsey just got. So like they were like, oh, it has to be somebody with insider information. So it had to be somebody like close to the family, especially there is no sign of forced entry. And then hours later, I think in the afternoon on the day after Christmas, John went into the basement to search and he found a broken basement window, which apparently had been broken for months. And he found John Benet's body. He carried her upstairs, which a lot of people think might be a little suspicious because he kind of like removed evidence. He didn't take any photos or anything like that. I think it'd be weirder if he took photos. Well, she, they were saying like he should have gone and gotten police and had them look at her instead of grabbing her and carrying her upstairs. But honestly, yeah. if you are a father and you just find your child's body, you wouldn't want to leave her, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the update has to do with the DNA found on John Bonet's body. So Jean Benet was found, she had blunt force trauma to her head, and she had been strangled to death a couple hours after the blunt force trauma. There was DNA found on her head that was believed to be a unknown male person. They ran the DNA against her family members, and it did not match her family members. And then... Later down the road, when they were looking at the DNA, they realized it was two separate DNA profiles. So it was two different samples, not one like they thought. And they searched the murder weapon and everything, and they found a total of six 
separate DNA samples, but that doesn't mean necessarily that there were six people involved with the murder. Things were taken from her room to strangle her. So, like, the DNA on it could have been from whoever made the thing, if she had a friend who was playing with it, you know, something like that. So that DNA has been collected, but it hasn't been tested. And in late July, John Ramsey, the father, started a petition to get Colorado to test the DNA now that DNA testing is more advanced. For some reason, the Jean Benet Ramsey case was never labeled a cold case. And so that's why he's having to petition the state instead of just being like, hey, it's a cold case, reopen it, please. And he's hoping that the DNA can be ran against collected DNA through kits like 23andMe, mm-hmm. which is what brought down the Golden State Killer. So it's not exactly an update update, like they found the person, but it's a potential update update saying like, hey, they might be running the DNA and we might finally be able to figure it out. And I was honestly, when I heard this story, I don't think I processed the date that she died. But like this, I was thinking it was a long time ago, but no, it's pretty recent comparatively. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think I n- knew it was... Yeah, comparatively fairly recent, like not as far back as something like the Black Dahlia or anything. Honestly, I'm like a little bit relieved with this case that it happened outside of the South just because it's like it's just the the most sensitive topics that like the research of would I think really if I were to do it would would make me incredibly sad, like to do like a really in-depth look into this case actually i'm like personally like thank you for the update i'm just like i'm i'm relieved that we're not going to do a full episode on it you know what i mean and like i have to fully go into it but i do hope that there is an update and they find whoever at least whoever the dna is yeah so they can find answers so yeah here's hoping here we might have a more update soon here's hoping question I have though is it like off the thing that like they're gonna have like six different DNA strands from is is that what they're testing or am I completely wrong (laughs) so he's just asking them to test all DNA samples that they pulled from the scene okay okay yeah so all six I mean some of those six could be the same person too so it could be two people who left three DNA like the the r- remainder of the DNA was never really tested. Gotcha. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm hoping this brings us to more answers about this for sure. Especially for the Ramsey family. Especially for them. All right. All right. So I have a story for you today. Yes. And before I get into it, we have a happy birthday message. So happy birthday to Abby. Yes, Abby wrote to us right before we started our college tour Palooza, mm-hmm. and she recommended that we research the Gasaway Mansion. And she also mentioned that her birthday is September 1st. So at the point of us recording, it's not yet September 1st, but when this episode comes out, it will be. So 
happy advanced and belated birthday, Abby. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> Crazy how time works. I know. But so I uh, did go into the Gasaway Mansion. There was a good amount of story to it. It wasn't quite enough for an episode. So I decided to turn this into an episode where because the Gasaway Mansion so resembles a castle in a very weird way, which I will get into, I have decided to make this a tour of three haunted castles in the American South. You didn't think we had them, but we do. Okay. <laughs> this story has a content warning for suicide and sexual violence. Okay. Walter Lewis Gassaway was born in January 19th, 1865 in Central South Carolina. And no, I do not mean the region of Central South Carolina. I mean the town Central South Carolina. There is also a North South Carolina. We're not really good at naming things here. Uh, <laughs> he was from a well-to-do family. His father, James, was a major part of the development of Pickens County. He was well-off and had built and owned mills in the area, a tradition which Walter would follow in. At 18, Walter started working for a man named B.M. McGee in Greenville, South Carolina, in a store where young men would go to apprentice and often go on to be quite successful. After that, Walter became the cashier of the Greenville Savings Bank for two years, which was, I, I had to look this up because I didn't quite know what cashier meant there, but it was a high up position with a lot of responsibility. And he went on to be one of the founders of the American Bank of Greenville in 1890 when he was 25 years old. He was the president of this bank as well, and he was also the president of the Bank of Central. He retired from the presidency of American Bank in 1921. He was also involved in the textile industry in the upstate state and started a cotton mill called Isaquina Mills that made print cloths, where he was president and treasurer. As of 1920, this mill was worth $315,000, which in today's money would be $4,666,347. I say all this to let you know that basically this guy had a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and... He used it on this house. So before he, we get to the house, just know he married a woman named Minnie Quinn, and they had a daughter together named Susan Mariah Gasway. Uh, they had the daughter, I believe, while they were living in a place called the Otteray Hotel, owned, of course, by Walter, but operated and managed by Minnie at a in a book in 1920, she was said to, I don't know the exact wording, but it was basically like, she's really into business for a lady. Oh, oh <laughs> my. the general tone that, that came through there. Uh, and they lived in the hotel for a while. But in 1919, they started building their dream house. This was a little bit outside of downtown Greenville. It took them five years to build, so they finished in 1924. And it cost them a whopping $790. $90,000. In today's money, that is $13.5 million. Dang. Dang. The house was designed by Minnie, we believe, after she took a course in architecture. And like, I'm going to get to it in a bit, but like, no offense to Minnie. I don't know if maybe she should have been in charge of that. I don't know if she did the best job. But it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's not up to me. It's fine. Okay. So <laughs> these stained glass windows were from Tiffany's. Of course. So we, you know, like breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, Tiffany and co, you know, you get the diamond. It's Tiffany's. Yeah. That Tiffany. Yeah. 
Uh, and the tiles were from Italy. The floors were from New York. This is just reminding me of that song in High School Musical 2. I knew it. Where... <laughs> Where Ashley Tisdell is singing about Fabulous and how she wants Fabulous and Ice Teen pointed from England. And the thing is, I can tell you the rest of the lyrics, but I don't want to. So just know that that is where my mind went from this. Just the way you said it, I knew that was coming. Like you started almost singing it. I'm like, no way. Are you about to? <laughs> she wanted Fabulous is what I'm trying to say. Uh-huh. So... They did a lot of entertaining here, especially music, dancing, and likely gambling. Naughty, naughty. They lived here during the 20s. You know, what do I got to say? They called the place Isaquina, likely after the mills that were owned. And today it is known as the Gasaway Mansion. And okay, here's what it looked like. (laughs) Part of the reason it was nominated for the National Register of Historic Places and accepted is because it looks very unique. She combined different styles of architecture that you don't typically see together. So there's neoclassical architecture, which is like taking ideas from ancient Rome. And you'll see this actually quite a bit. So like when you're passing houses and it has like four columns out front, you know, those kind of bigger houses, this was one of those. That is neoclassical. Uh, She also took neo-gothic, which is taking things from medieval times. So if you're looking at the house square on, you see, you know, the the columns out front and you're like, okay, that's neoclassical. Right behind it, there is literally a castle tower. Like it is a tower that looks like it's from a castle. I love it. It's got the, the, the roof thing. It's got the tall thin windows that are literally designed so an archer can shoot out of it but not be shot back mm-hmm. like what was going on in that house <laughs> i don't know but it, it 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 it's quite interesting and i i i i like it okay i i'm not like i wouldn't get married there which is <laughs> it's a wedding venue now but i think i like that it exists for sure So this incredibly interesting house, you know, has garnered a lot of attention over time. It is huge. It is 22,000 square feet. It is the largest house in Greenville, South Carolina. I think that record could extend to maybe the state because I did Google largest house in South Carolina and it did come up, but I don't know for sure other than Google telling me, yes, that's the truth. Okay. Now, 22,000 square feet is almost half the size of the White House, so it's like, you know, big. It's not like sprawling, huge, gigantic Biltmore, but nothing's the Biltmore. That's why the Biltmore is the Biltmore. It is five stories tall. It is made of 40 rooms, and it sits on 110 acres of land, part of which is used as a dairy. As a, They had a lot of businesses. As a dairy farm? I guess. Okay. You would assume? I don't know. Uh, it's milk. The land is milk. What's, what's a dairy other than a farm? <laughs> <laughs> no, they just, it's a giant fridge and they just put all the milk in there and it takes up a hundred yeah. of the 110 <laughs> acres for sure. So, um, because this house is so big and so op- opulent and because of what happened right after the 1920s, it is considered to be a great example of the fortune people had kind of at this pinnacle of time in the twenties before, of course, the great depression, which does factor into this story. So on June 4th, 1930, Walter Gassaway passed away at the age of 65. He retired a little bit before this. Uh, I don't know exactly when he is buried at the Christ Episcopal church cemetery in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm going to give you the legend 
of his death. Okay. And then I'm going to tell you what actually happened. Okay. Okay. The legend of his death is that the stock market crashed in 1920. Well, that's actually fact. The stock market <laughs> crashed in 1929. It was a bad time. And the thing is, he was a rich man who had a lot of, probably a lot of stocks. And the legend is that his financials suffered to a point that he couldn't recover. And so the story goes that he stood on the front lawn of the Gasaway mansion, then called Isaquina, and he committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. Ooh. Now, that was the legend. Let's get into what actually happened. A comment on the blog, Dana's fashion phase, and yes, everybody, my um, research for these episodes really does bring me to some interesting parts of the internet, okay? Okay. Uh But a comment on the blog from, of Dana's fashion phase from a person who says they are the great, great grandchild of Walter Gassaway. They commented because she took photos in front of the house and gave the story that, of what happened, that is the famous legend of it. This person commented saying he didn't commit suicide. We're all really tired of people saying he committed suicide. He died in his garden from a heart attack. Okay. And well, there is a newspaper account at the time, an edition of the Greenville News, published the day after he died, that said he did pass away from a heart attack while doing work outside. Now there is a little bit of space where there, the person who says they're related to him says he died at a nearby house that they moved to after, you know, the stock market crash, after they moved away from the Gasaway Mansion. This newspaper account does give the Gasaway Mansion's address or general area as the place that he died. I either could be true. Yeah. Either could be false. I think I'm going to lean to he probably died at the Gasaway Mansion just because I did see a few sources saying that many the year after he died did move away then from the Gasaway Mansion. But anyway, it did, it seems, prove too much to actually sustain with the money that they had. So after he died and the Great Depression did hit, she moved away and the house was divided into apartments that people could rent out. And then the land was sold off into different lots of land for houses. Okay. So the mansion spent some time as an art museum and a church and a school. And today it is a private property, like I said, where a lot of weddings are hosted. But again, it is private. So do not, everybody, try any funny business. Oh, okay. Okay? Okay. Okay. I promise. Now you say to yourself, Robin, this is a wonderful history of a house and a family in the upstate of South Carolina. But where's the ghost? Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. All right, Zoe. I knew it. (laughs) Well, some people believe he haunts the front lawn where, you know, according to legend, he committed suicide and probably according to reality where he did pass away uh, and that he haunts the house. And people would say that if you looked up at the house from the outside, sometimes you could see him walking past the upstairs windows. Others then some lights turning on and off for the longest time. This is the extent of what I was able to find until... I came across a book called Haunted Greenville, South Carolina by Jason Prophet, where he gives a story of the brief time he and his mother lived in the Gasway Mansion when it was converted into apartments. So this is all from Haunted Greenville, South Carolina. When he was 13, he and his mother moved into an apartment on the second floor of the Gasway Mansion. He said that from the very first night they were there, they knew that there was something paranormal happening. There was, there was some paranormal being around them. Okay. He also said he heard invisible footsteps walking up the stairs and would sometimes at like the tops of the walls hear this tapping. And he said it sounded like fingers were knocking against it. And he specifically was saying like, this didn't sound like my 
mice because yes, mice were there, but it had a different sound. <laughs> and I just, I, 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 I appreciate him paying enough attention to know the difference between the sounds because like, yes, I have heard mice in the wall and trying to crawl up through floorboards and falling from the floor to the ceiling within the wall. And yes, they have very specific sounds. <laughs> I lived in a very old house, everybody. <laughs> he would sometimes go around the house with his neighbor friend who was also about his same age. And he said that they would dis both distinctly hear the sound of a leather shoe walking across a wooden floor. Now they lived on the second floor. This was when they would hear it above them on the third floor. Um, but he wasn't sure how this sound could have been naturally occurring because there was not a wood floor up there anymore. It had been changed to carpet, mm. which makes you think, okay, well, residual energy. Now, one night he, and this is kind of the bigger part of the story because it's like a specific thing he, he witnessed to an extent. So one night he heard his mom making sounds like she was having a bad dream. And so this was going on for a while. So he went to check on her in her room and she was moving around a lot, like kind of like she was fighting off something, I think, but like clearly asleep. So he pulled her arm to get her to wake up and he said it felt like her she was kind of being yanked away from him. So like something was like pulling her arm away from him. So he pulled it back and he had to do this two more times before she finally did wake up. And when she saw him, you know, he asked what was going on and he, she said, okay, I, I'm just stressed. I'm just stressed. And she didn't tell him what she experienced that night until a few years later when she told him she was suffering from an incubus that night, which he describes as a spirit that sexually attacks women. Mm -hmm. And I guess it had come to her through her dreams or something from what I'm understanding. And he does go on to say that his mother would go to other people's houses and help them sort out their different paranormal problems they were having there. And so he believes that the incubus did not actually come from the house, probably from one of these other houses, but that he says it is possible that the ghost and entity that is in the house could have made it more likely that the attack could have happened to his mother and easier for it to get to her. Now, that is the extent to what I was able to find about the Gasaway Mansion. Very interesting story, but I was able to find more happening in different haunted castle-like structures in South Carolina and Georgia. Zoe, do you want to hear about these? No, I'm good. Okay, okay, okay. Well, we'll just end the episode here. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Stay spooky, you know. <laughs> Shortest episode ever. Okay. <laughs> yes, of course I would love to hear about these, Robin. All right, well, I have two more. So we're going to Rhodes Hall in Atlanta, Georgia. Zoe, have you ever heard of Rhodes Hall? Because you look like you might have. I think I have, but I don't know. I think I have. Was it like an A, I'm going to do an episode on this? Eh, no, I'm not. <laughs> It might, it might have been, you'd have to tell me more stories, but I have been to Atlanta, Georgia as well, and I am interested in haunted things, so it could have just been... Come up there. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, it was built in the year 1902 to 1904. Out of the three places I'm covering this episode, this one looks absolutely the most like a traditional castle. Like, literally... This is a castle okay. that just happens to be across from a gas station in Midtown Atlanta. <laughs> okay. okay. It was built in 1902 
was owned by Amos and Amanda Rhodes, who were inspired to build their own castle after going on a trip to Germany and seeing the castles that were over there. They hired an architect, whose name I did not record, to make this happen. There is an amazing article on publicmedievalist.com called Cupid at the Castle, Romance, Medievalism, and Race at Atlanta's Rhodes Hall by Richard Oots that I highly recommend you read because it does a great job of putting into context why there would have been an interest or obsession with medievalism in Atlanta during the time. So white people in the South for the longest time identified less with the story of like the American dream, or I guess at the time, American pioneers, uh, and more with stories of chivalry from medieval Britain. This became their ideal, like what they strive for and what they hearken back to especially when Black Americans grew relatively more prosperous at the turn of a century in Atlanta. So Amos and Amanda Rhodes made Rhodes Hall a clear-cut example of this ideal, romanticizing the Old South in a literal castle. They have a series of stained glass windows along their grand staircase that show imagined and real scenes from the Civil War and the Old South, including a group of enslaved people working on a cotton field, a soldier waving goodbye to his family as he leaves the plantation house to go to war, and one where he returns after the war to find the plantation house partially destroyed. Other windows show generals like Robert E. Lee and portraits, and they also have depictions, uh, I believe in stained glass, of at least two famous members of the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, one of whom was the Grand Wizard for a time and another who was in charge of the Georgia section of the KKK. And nobody's thrown bricks through these windows yet? No, apparently for a time they were removed to like Georgia archives, but then they were brought back to the house. Uh-huh. So they're there. They're there. Okay. Amanda died in the house in 1927 after being sick for a long time, and Amos died in 1928. The house was then deeded to the state of Georgia by their children, and it was used for a period of time, fun fact, from 1984 to 1992 as a haunted house, like a halloween -y kind of like a haunted, like haunt, how you go to a haunted maze, you're like, this isn't actually haunted, but their fake ghosts are going to touch me. Yeah, there's a like bunch that. of actors with gore makeup and... Yeah. 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 What I abandoned you at at one time. <laughs> Apologies. Oh, by the way, it's used also as a wedding venue right now. I would not get married. Like, I'm not telling people what to do, but like, I, I personally would not get married. Me neither. I'm not going to do that. And it does have quite a slate of reportings of hauntings. Okay. So the obligatory lights turn on and off. <gasps> they do it. They do it. I remember there's this one like line I saw in a scene in an article for a something spookated a while ago. And it was like, Ghost Hunter saying, like, honestly, 80% of the time, it's not a ghost. It's just bad wiring. And I just, like, want to scream that at these old buildings. Like, sometimes lights do this. Yeah. Doors will shut and lock by themselves. That's not necessarily something you see all the time. But specifically, Amos and Amanda are both said to haunt it, which makes sense, I think, because I'm pretty sure they're, like, they're the only two people who actually lived there. Okay. And they don't like visitors, which, I mean, their house is literally visited all the time so whatevs many people who come to the hall say they feel immediately like something there wants them to leave now oh one of the people who had a run-in with amos was a behind the scenes tour guide who had recently started working there it was an evening or nighttime and everyone else had left she was getting her things together and about to start walking down the staircase when she realized something or someone was coming back up it 
She heard the sound of footsteps walking slowly toward her up the stairs and the sound of a cane accompanying them. Then she heard the voice. Get out, uh, he said. Oh. She tried to talk to whoever was coming up the stairs because she was thinking this was a prank. But, you know, the person kept coming up the stairs. They kept saying, get out, getting louder and louder as he came into view. And when he did, he, it wasn't exactly corporeal. It was a shadow on the wall, but it was a shadow of a man and his cane. And the shadow was yelling at her by this point. So she ran down a different staircase, left the place unlocked and quit her job. Yeah, that's reasonable. It's probably the exact thing I would do (laughs) for sure. Uh, This next story. You know how when you have friends with different levels of what they can do horror-wise, like you're like, okay, well, what do we do on Halloween, you know? So this is how we ended up watching this. We left Zach and Cody on Halloween in my freshman dorm. Remember mm-hmm. that night? It's fun. No. Okay, well, we ought to, oh, I think, watch The Emperor's New Groove for no reason. Okay. I think we started a horror movie and, like, we couldn't finish it. Somebody couldn't finish it. Okay. That does not sound familiar. I also familiar, Coke on okay. my bed. This happened. So, okay. Uh, well... Like Coca-Cola, not Coke. You spilled a Coke. I thought yeah. you said you felt a poke. No, I spilled a Coke and I flipped my mattress when I left. So like the people wouldn't notice. My resident mentor never knew. <laughs> Just FYI. There was one woman who did not like spooky things who was visiting Atlanta with her sister and her family. And her sister did like spooky things. So the sister was like, I want to go tour Rhodes Hall because I hear it's haunted. And... The main girl reluctantly agreed to it. So they go into the hall, they're on a tour, and immediately the main girl feels like she's being watched. You probably are. And she felt that whatever was watching her did not want her there. It probably didn't. So she wanted to turn back, but her sister was like, "Mm, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) And so they're going through this one hall and they're looking at their portraits and She comes across a painting of Amanda Rhodes as an older woman, and she gets this weird feeling while looking at the portrait, and she apparently stares at it for a good long while, because once she looks away from the portrait, she realizes, oh shoot, my entire family left the room and I'm alone. Oh no. Yes. So she's about to leave the room, but the furniture starts to shake, and she sees in the mirror across the room, not a reflection of herself, but the image of Mrs. Rhodes as she was in the portrait as if she herself were mrs rhodes Hmm. at that point the portraits start to fall off the walls and she runs out of the room full disclosure i do find that story a little bit suspicious yeah just a little bit like like okay i can get behind furniture shake (laughs) i guess i don't know could be an earthquake um but like the portrait falling off the wall is the thing that gets me that got me too i was like you didn't need that one yeah she left the room because like okay the ghost like you if i turned around and saw not me in the reflection i would be leaving and like i would be worried if the portrait fell off the wall that somebody would blame me for the damage the article specifically said that they weren't blamed for the damages which i mean is an interesting thing to add to it but i I don't know about that one. It was creepy up until the portrait. I agree. (laughs) Up until the portrait falling. Right. The stained glass windows I mentioned, like I said, they're on that stairwell. Apparently also on that stairwell, inexplicably, is a little girl in a white dress. 
and a lady in white, both of them. And apparently the little girl especially will show up after hours. Now, it's there's no origin story for these because it doesn't make sense that they would be there. Because like I said, I'm pretty sure the only people who lived here were that Rhodes couple. However, you know, in demon lore, they will often take the form of a small child. And so I'm like, do you got one? Is it there? Yeah. Is it her? And there's just no more information on that. And I would love more information on that. The fact that it's a little girl in a white dress and a lady in white makes me think like maybe it's the same spirit and they're just like age, like hopping between the two ages, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. I'm very curious about it. There's also reportedly a man in the basement, but I've only seen him described as like the evil man, quote, quote, quote. Uh Um, And there's no more details I can find. So internet I would love that. I don't know. Am I speaking directly to the internet? Oh, God, what a chaotic thing that would be. But, like, I would love more details on that. (laughs) Somebody have an experience real quick. That sounds, like, perfectly generic and, like, not nearly enough details that I feel like one person said something and then everybody else just was like, yep, evil man in the basement. Evil man. Evil man. Evil man. One woman who works there, Tracy Clark, said she was sitting at her desk in the afternoon and she heard a group of children laughing somewhere in the house. She, no, this is every day. This is normal. They get field trips. And so she called the building's manager a few hours later and they were chatting and she was just saying like, oh, you must have had your hands full with all the kids today. And the manager was like, there were no children here today. I know. I would freak out. Mm -hmm. I would freak out. I don't know if she did, but I would freak out. I would just, like, second-guess all my memories and just assume I made it up. Really? Yeah. Zoe, (laughs) more confidence. I don't know. Now I'm going to go to Beaufort, South Carolina for the third story in this trio. And and Zoe, this is my favorite. Okay. Oh, I, I, I really like this ghost. So we're going to the year 1562. Wow. I take you back. I take you back. This is now the portion of the podcast where Robin, that's me, pretends she knows how to pronounce French names. Okay. Okay. In 1562, a French explorer named Jean Ribot decided he wanted to explore the Carolinas. They weren't called that yet, but he decided he wanted to come here anyway. And he founded a colony called Charles Fort just down the way from modern day Beaufort, South Carolina. Accompanying him, at least according to stories, given that there is no evidence that this happened, but there's also no evidence that it didn't happen, so whatevs, was a jester named either Gush, 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 or Gwinosh, or Gwinosh. I'm going to call him Gush. Okay. Horribly sorry for the mispronunciation. And he was also a little person. And this gesture, like I said, there's no evidence that he was there or not there, and Similarly, there are many stories as to how he met his eventual end. These include hanging, fighting, illness, and being impaled on a spike. What? I don't know. I don't know. These are all the things I found. Whichever was the truth, he is always said to have died on the land where the castle would later be built. This was in Beaufort, South Carolina. The castle? Does the castle, the castle have a name? The castle. The castle, Zoe. The castle. The castle. 
Now, why do I mention this? Because they see his ghost. Yes, everybody. Because they do see his ghost. So, ahem. A man named Joseph Johnson. In the 1850s, he started building this house in the Italian Renaissance style. It's a waterfront property, Beaufort, South Carolina. And it wasn't yet finished when the Civil War started in 1861. And it was used as a military hospital, as well as the outbuilding was used as a morgue. And it is quite possible that the Johnson family before the war started or before the Union Army came or one of those things, hid a lot of their treasured belongings underneath the floorboards of that outbuilding as well. And it is also possible they buried some of the bodies of soldiers who didn't survive on the property. So pretty much as soon as the house was finished after the war, the land had seen enough deaths for weird things to start happening. And weird things did start happening. The gardeners were the first ones to see Gosh once the family moved back into the mansion after the Civil War. And three of the people who are reported to have seen the ghost belonged to the original family of the castle. Dr. Johnson, who was Joseph Johnson, which I just look at that and I think Johnson Johnson. I can't, <laughs> I can't hold both those names in my brain at the same time. He supposedly saw Gosh walking the grounds. The son of the family, who is unnamed as far as I can tell, I'm sure he has a name, also experienced some gauche hauntings and said he cursed a lot. And Lily Danner has the most well-known and well-detailed encounter with gauche because he was kind of her childhood friend. Oh. They would have tea parties together in the basement where they would sit together with Lily's dolls. He dressed up as a typical jester, like in his costume with the pointed shoes and the bells on his hat. And she says he had quite the potty mouth, much like her brother said. He would often swear and make fun of the people in the house. And he would call one of the members of her family, quote, a hellion. She said that after he said that, she would just like ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he would also communicate by tapping out in French, like tapping in French. Okay. Now there's, I go into this. So the French wasn't even like modern French that they were speaking in like the 1860s. It was French from his time, from the 1500s. So it was like this archaic French. And how does one tap that out? Well, I was thinking Morse code. Morse code wasn't invented yet. Exactly, exactly. So, but apparently it was in some type of code, and it said that they contacted somebody who did speak 1500s French so that they could talk to Gauche, or at least understand what he was saying. And I, for one, admire their commitment to hospitality. Yeah, like getting a translator in there. <laughs> we got a translator for our ghost. Now, to consider the English equivalent of this, because maybe they spoke French, a lot of people spoke French. Do you consider the English equivalent of this? Imagine a ghost was in your apartment, Zoe. You might not have to stretch your imagination too far, depending on certain experiences that have been happening. But it only communicated either by cursing your family out loud or by tapping out Shakespeare in Morse code. I, would you know what I'm saying? I would be very, very amused by that ghost. And I would know what it's yeah. saying. I have the I've, I've studied enough Shakespeare that I can read a new poem or two. Have you studied enough Morse code? No, not Morse code. See, that's the thing. That's the limiting factor. I can, I can write down the dots and the dashes and look it up online. I just, here's my question about Morse code that I really, I really do wonder this. 
you know, I, I see how you can like know that like, okay, maybe for example, perhaps two short taps is A. How do you know when one letter ends and one letter begins? It's because there's a short pause. So it's like boop, 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 boop. And then there's like a longer pause whenever it's like the end of a word. And then they don't care about pauses at the end of sentences or anything like that. That just takes forever. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. Just OK. OK. Whatever. Whatever. Gosh knows best, I guess. <laughs> now, Gosh uh, was said at least to have spoken aloud in English to at least to one person who wasn't one of the children or a member of the family. So Nell S. Graydon wrote in their book, Tales of Beaufort, about a conversation that Gosh had with a house guest. So for context, Gosh only shows up really to children. Okay, so okay. this was with an adult. And the adult was like, ah, Gosh is here. <laughs> <laughs> and the adult was having a conversation with him. And he was saying like, okay, well, why, why are you here? And Gosh was like, well, I live in the cellar because it makes me think about my home back in England. Never mind that Gosh was French. Okay, okay, okay. And the guest asked if Gosh would become visible to the guest. Let him see him. And Gosh responded with, no. I do not show myself to fools. Wow. <laughs> Gestures are fools too. Like that's what they're called too. It's like a synonym. But no, he, he turned it back on the guest. He's like, no, I don't show myself to fools. Which also means like he really respects the intelligence of children. Yeah. I just love Gosh. Yes. He is quite a character. Quite the character. So in addition to the cursing and the cryptic messaging, he also has displayed some poltergeistish, polter, poltergeist, poltergeistish behavior. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was easy to say. I'm leaving that in. Inclu- <laughs> <laughs> including opening and closing doors, moving furniture, and leaving red handprints on the windows. I don't know about that. That sounds murdery. Oh, right. Like, I think I would investigate the red handprints beyond gauche. I also think it's very possible that some sort of child got a hold of red paint and accidentally did that and was like, mm, I'm going to blame gauche, you know? I mean, I have seen kids like blame the pets for something that like very clearly a pet can't do. So, yeah. but like if you had a ghost in your house that just happened to be a medieval gesture or a renaissance era gesture like i would blame him for everything as a kid 100%. everything everything so by the way everything that he's doing like in the house like you know it's him because you can hear his bells on his hat okay that's yeah. cute yeah so you also know like when he's there uh, there is one addition to the castle's legend, which I don't even know if I got into this, but like they call it the castle. Yeah. You who live there. It used to be like the Dr. Joseph Johnson house. And now it's the castle because it's huge mm-hmm. and it has a moat. Okay. So that's it. Uh, so uh, it's also by this creek and people say that they will see fog travel from the creek toward the house. And just as the fog begins to look like a person, it will disappear. Like, still so be slowly. Forced. That sounds demonic. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's demonic. That sounds just like a quintessential coastal ghost to me. Oh. I mean, I haven't heard that before, but it sounds like it fits. I mean, maybe if it was coming from the ocean, maybe. Well, it said a tidal creek and it's on a waterfront property. I don't know. I don't know. I just know in my research that 
I learned that demons can take on the form of a mist. Uh, really? Mm-hmm. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so this house, like some previous ones, is a private residence. So again, no funny business. However, the current owners do seem to embrace the house's haunted past because they made it into an open house during Halloween last year. The local high school's theater department theater kids, Mm -hmm. dressed up in costumes and worked the haunted house with the theme of a castle during the bubonic plague. Awesome. Because of course they did. Because they're theater kids. And what year was this? 2021. There were also like masks and social distancing and hand sanitizers handing out candy as well. But them doing, oh, the bubonic plague in the middle of the coronavirus. Okay. It was a choice. It was a choice. It was a choice, is what I'm saying. So, if you are at the castle and you hear the tingling of bells and see demonic fog rising from the creek, or if you hear the occasional curse word or archaic French tapping, know that Gauche may be near. All right. Zoe, which of these castles do you think is the most haunted? And I, I want this to be... I want us to kind of come... I would love it if we came to a consensus, because I know my answer. It's probably Gauche. Right? Yeah, just right? because it's a named ghost that has spoken to people. and Yeah. Yeah. He parties with a child with dolls? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's very ghosty. But I liked all three. Those were all three good stories. Well, thank you. I, I didn't create them. I found them. Uh, which is good, because if I created yeah. them, we would have an issue. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, happy birthday to Abby. Thank you for yes. suggesting the Gasaway Mansion. And thank you for tolerating the rabbit hole I went down <laughs> with castles in South Carolina and Georgia. I have truly enjoyed doing research for this episode. All right. Well, maybe this will be another like haunted boozy places. We'll do like castles of the South. We're running out of castles, I have to tell you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then. <laughs> All right. Uh, Well, everyone, if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, subscribe, review, tell a friendo, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash haunted hospitality for just $3 a month. You get a new episode with us. Yes. And it comes out on the 13th because we're spooky. All right. And also, if you want to see Robin's sources, you can head over to hauntedhospitality.wordpress.com. And if you want to write to us, if you have your own recommendation for a story for us to cover, if you have your own spooky story, or maybe you've been to one of these castles, you can write to us at hauntedhospitality.podcast at gmail.com, or you can slide into our DMs. Yes, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Haunted Hospitality. You can also find us on Twitter at Haunted House. We hope to see you there. Stay Stay spooky. spooky.